It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Game number two of Suns Pelicans is tonight. We did takeaways yesterday, today on the show Adjustments. What are three adjustments we could see in game two and how can the Suns handle it? We'll get into all of it, break it all down, preview game two here on today's episode of Locked On Suns. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons and a contributor at suns.com as well as Dime Magazine. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen today and every day. One down, 15 to go. Subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. Again, 11099. You know that by now. The Suns take game one at home in the Footprint Center. Never really all that close, but that third quarter got a little tight. The rebounding margin got ugly, and a couple guys on the Suns' side did not play up to their usual standard. So we have some things to talk about adjustment-wise, and that's what today's show is for. If you want takeaways, a full recap, a real breakdown of what happened in Game 1, go over to yesterday's episode, and you will get all of that. Today is reserved solely for adjustment talk. So... First and foremost, I think we know where we have to start. Uh, The one column in the box score that the Suns did not dominate was the rebounding. 55 for New Orleans, only 35 for the Suns, and Jonas Valanciunas in particular doing a ton of damage. 13 offensive boards himself, and the 20 rebound difference was solely on the offensive side of things. Uh, The Suns were making so many shots that they did not give up many defensive rebounds, but the Pelicans more than made up for that by continuing to extend possession. So what can the Suns do? That is the obvious question. What can the Suns do? So I'll, I'll start there, but I have a broader point to make that I didn't 
iron in enough yesterday that I just, the more I sat on it, I, I really felt. So let me just say a few things about the rebounding in general. So obviously the Suns won the game in spite of one of the ugliest offensive rebounding margins you will ever see, right? Still a double-digit game most of the time. The Suns were up 20 most of this game. It only got close until... And, 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 and then Chris Paul basically decided to end the game. But with those offensive rebounds, the Pelicans were not doing a whole lot. So in the paint, so rim at the rim or the short mid-range, which is non-restricted area paint shots, the Pelicans were a combined 19 of 57. Valanchunas was 7 of 21 from the field. So... Point being, the Suns don't, did not get punished off of those offensive rebounds. A lot of people pointed to the fact that despite those boards, the Pelicans only had 38 points in the paint, whereas the Suns had 50. So it didn't, it didn't result in much damage at the end of the day. That said, the Suns aren't going to, I mean, you don't want to allow that because what happens in a game where the offensive rebounds do go the same way? Maybe not quite as extreme, but the Pelicans are still extending possessions. What happens when that happens? And also the Stars are, are making their shots, right? When Ingram goes better than 6 of 17 from the field. When McCollum goes better than 9 of 25, right? So a few things you can do. One, I think the Suns can be a little bit more restrained with how they give up Aiton switching. I don't think that's something that you need to worry about too, too much. I'm not saying you need to redo your entire defensive scheme here by any means just to put another, you know, a big body on the glass because, again, it didn't kill the Suns like it could have. But, you know, maybe in a late clock situation, the Suns might change their their rules around a little bit so that Aiton is not contesting out on a shooter at the end of a clock or he's not, you know, defending a, a quick ISO from Brandon Ingram late because those are the types of shots where he's going to be exposed a little bit because it's it's a low volume shot if it's at the end of the clock and it's so so the team can prepare that it might be a miss and it, it puts him out of position obviously which then allows if it's not Valanchunas taking that shot well where's Valanchunas now we got to keep track of him and, and now somebody like Booker is needing to put a body on the beast that is uh, Jonas. So that's one thing. One other thing is, and I don't think the Suns, well, they ran a lot in this game, 15 fast break points, but you look and overall the pace was 91 possessions. Um, not a lot at all, right? I mean, the, you know, you're getting, if you're getting over a hundred, you're starting to feel like it's, it's really fast, but 91 is, is a pretty slow game, all things considered. And a lot of that is because of those offensive rebounds. But at the same time, it's indicative of the fact that the Suns were not pushing as much as they could have. So the reason that relates to the offensive rebounding is, one, I think it's a, a, an easy way for the Suns to get good offense and continue to control the pace of the game so that the Pelicans are not getting to constantly operate in a comfortable rhythm on offense and get everybody set up so that they can attack the boards. But I also think it can tire Valanchunas out. That is the main point here. Valanchunas, I, I told you guys yesterday in the recap, 
I wrote a note in my notebook during the game that I noticed Valanciunas was tired with about 12 minutes. Like, this is a guy who never has played big minutes in his entire career. If you remember the year that the Raptors won the championship, they traded Valanciunas because he didn't really fit the versatile style that they wanted to play. They wanted to have Ibaka at the five. They wanted to have Marcus Gasol, who could stretch it a little bit more, who could... Uh, you know, be a little bit more of a consistent defender, but Valanciunas has never played. This is the most minutes per game he's ever played in his career, and he barely cracked 30. So he does, because he's so big, because he is responsible for being physical and setting a, a tone inside, he's not somebody who's going to run up and down the floor. Aiton was beating him down the floor in both directions most of the time. Aiton was getting out in transition to finish lobs or to uh, you know, seal in the post and get some easy buckets. He was also beating Valanciunas down the floor when Valanciunas was on offense and Aiton was getting set defensively before Valanciunas could get there. So that is an easy way. If you see an opening, get the ball to Aiton. Make JV think about getting down the floor. Make him focus on other things, right? Um, and then I think the other thing is I don't know. It's weird to me that he didn't take very many threes. I, I, I know that those things don't always go together, but he took the most three-pointers per game of his career this season in addition to uh, being you know a consistent offensive rebounder like he always has been. He took 2.1 per game this year. He only took one, and I think it was in the first quarter in game one. If he's in a, just a couple more possessions, maybe you... You play off of him just a little bit more if you're Aiton in that pick and roll and you know, really just ignore him, almost dare him to shoot, have Aiton shade even more toward the ball handler. Just act like Valanciunas is not there. He's not somebody that you need to be terrified of on the roll. He's, I mean, yes, he can catch and finish. I, I Don't get me wrong. He wasn't great as a finisher in game one. That, that will bounce back. But he's not somebody who's going to catch a lob and smash a dunk down on you, right? You don't need to worry about him in that way. So if you can if you can dare him to shoot threes or make him feel like that's the best shot for him in, in a given possession, that's going to pull him away from the rim as well. So there are things to do. But the bottom line is, as I was clearly getting at here, the Suns don't need that much of a fix. They don't. This is not going to kill them. I just... I thought this from the beginning when I previewed the series with Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans. I didn't want to, you know, we know this series is going to be fairly lopsided. So I wasn't going to sit there and, and rub in all these different ways that the Suns had an advantage. But the bottom line is, I was thinking, talking to him, because he was so reliant on Ingram and McCollum and offensive rebounding. That's going to be the rhythm, the, the recipe for the Pelicans to win. And I just kept thinking, I don't think even if the Pelicans just own the offensive glass, I don't think this team is good enough to win. They don't have shot makers. Willie Green is calling good stuff. You can see the Suns' blueprint in the in this Pelicans offense, but they do not have the shot makers to get the job done. They don't have the defensive personnel to, to match up with the Suns. They don't have enough versatile playoff caliber players right now. They're a young roster. They don't have Zion. It is what it is. It's not a criticism per se. They have had an excellent season, but I just don't think the offensive rebounding the Suns can win a game by 11 that they get out rebounded by 20 in. Imagine if that margin is just 15 or 10 and the Suns can continue to win. I think uh, that's the number one thing, but I also think one clear adjustment comes in the starting lineup on the Pelicans side. What can Willie Green do there? We'll talk about it in a second. First though, guys, today's show brought to you by Prize Picks. 
If you're an NBA fan looking for a new daily fantasy option, if you're sick of the boring old stuff, check out Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. We love it. We are NBA junkies and we love it here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, and we know you will too. Here's the deal easy to use. Two to five players and an over or an under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Again, just you versus the projections. No pool, no opponent, no head-to-head, no rotisserie league, no any of that. It is you versus your own choice, over or under. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and PrizePix offers safe and fast withdrawals. So use their award-winning PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to make your selection today. Set your lineup, set your over-unders, and get going. The best part, in my opinion, is that PrizePix allows mixed sport entries. You don't have to just choose the NBA. You can choose, let's say, over on Devin Booker points. We'll get to that later. I think he will be fantastic in game two as a scorer. And then let's say you go under on anybody in the Diamondbacks starting lineup hits. Because look, they're not going to get there. We don't have to beat around the bush. For a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer offer for all of our users Set a smart lineup, guys, and users will get $50 for free if their first prize picks entry scores a single point. Of course it will. Devin Booker's going to score a point. Duh. Again, that's code NBA when you sign up at prizepicks.com or the PrizePix mobile app. When you use the promo code NBA, $50 free when your first entry scores a single point. Prize picks daily fantasy made easy. Today's show also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting stats and sports info all year long. Find the latest developments, analysis, and news from the MLB start of the season to the NBA's end of the season and everything in between. BetOnline is your continued source for sports wagering info, including live betting and normal odds. On that note, I'm looking here. Basketball, of course. Let us see. NBA series. Now, let's see here. NBA games. Let's see what the game two odds are. Suns favored by nine and a half. So they still think this thing is going to be a little bit closer. I think the Suns cover that. I think that they win by double digits again here in game two. But that's the kind of thing you can find at betonline.net. Head to the website today or use their mobile app to learn more about the latest trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Adjustment number two, that... We'll come on the Pelican side in this case. We'll talk about what the change is, and then we'll talk about how the Suns can and will counter it. But it's pretty obvious, I think, to anybody. I know Pelicans fans were, were apoplectic about this guy and his uh, performance in Game 1, and I think it'll be the, the, the easy fix. And it's Jackson Hayes. He's been a great part of uh, the story with the Pelicans, this wonky starting lineup with two centers in it, neither one of which is like a major floor spacer or playmaker. Uh, They're just using their size. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're, they're using it. They're making it work, but I think their, uh, their, their, their luck has run out there. I don't think it will work in this series. Hayes was a minus 11 in his 11 minutes on uh, Sunday night in game one. He was two of five from the free throw line, which doesn't really matter. But the biggest thing there is one rebound. One rebound, so he's not even providing what you would ideally want him to, being bigger than Jay Crowder, being bigger than Mikhail Bridges. He he didn't use that very much. He had one where I think he, he actually ended up kind of corralling a loose ball that they could have called an offensive rebound, and then he got to the line. That was like the only play in the third, I think it was in the third, right at the beginning of the third quarter, 
where it felt like, okay, you know, he's he's clearly like a, a bigger, better athlete than a lot of the other guys on the floor, but one time in 11 minutes is not going to get it done. And on top of that, the Suns were picking him apart. They were going out of their way to, you saw this a lot in the second quarter especially, you saw it at the beginning of the third quarter as well, where, I'm sorry, the first quarter and the third quarter, I actually don't think he played in the second or fourth quarter, where the Suns were going out of their way to involve Jay Crowder in the offense. Not that he doesn't always, but they were going to their pet plays and things like that, knowing that Hayes was going to struggle to cover ground, that he was going to struggle to read the situation, to navigate space. It's not even about, he's a good athlete. He's long. He can, can get, you know, get back and make up ground and contest shots. It's the, when you, let's imagine this, because there there, this happened a lot. You have Herb Jones guarding Chris Paul. You have Jackson Hayes guarding Jay Crowder. And you have Jonas, Val- Jonas Valanciunas guarding DeAndre If you involve all three of those players, the amount of body that is having to rotate around and read space, like these are things you probably necessarily don't think about watching the game, but the the length and the size and the bulk of those three people trying to pirouette around one another defensively, it it's it's really tough. And that's part of why big guys struggle in the league. It's not just guys like Valanchunas who, you know, have to cover Aiton on a lob or something like that. It's also like if you have Jay Crowder setting a screen, then spacing out, then relocating to the top of the key, then driving down the basket, then kicking it out, then relocating back to the corner. You have a guy that's Jackson A seven feet tall trying to navigate that. It just isn't going to work. So I could see Willie Green feeling like starting Jackson Hayes is, or let me put it this way, benching Jackson Hayes is not worth the hit to his confidence. The fact that it's part of his development long-term, I could see the the emotion of that move. Maybe Willie Green doesn't want to do that in game two. At the same time, you coach to win. I think Willie abides by that philosophy. So either way, I think 11 minutes is going to be probably the biggest total that Hayes gets all game long, all season long, or all series long. So you could see Hayes maybe start again, but only play the first quarter. I don't know. I lean probably toward he doesn't start the game. And here's what I think happens instead. A few things. Larry Nance will, should be the starter in place of him. And I know you're probably thinking, okay, is that not the guy that Chris Paul just cooked in the fourth quarter on switches? It is, but I think some of that was a little bit of a deception on the part of Chris Paul getting to the basket suddenly, going into attack mode like that. The Pelicans clearly weren't ready for it. Hey, Nance is a better defender than that. It's not to say that he's going to lock down Chris Paul in game two. I'm not making that prediction, but he's not as bad as he looked. I think we all know He's a pretty decent defender and just got exposed in in an awkward situation there. So he should be the guy. He can navigate some of that stuff with Crowder, I think. He's more mobile. He's fleet of foot. He still has the length and everything else that you want. He doesn't give up. He he had more rebound. He was a better rebounder in game one than Hayes was. So you might actually even add to your rebounding advantage if you put Nance in the game. Plus, it allows you to go right to the small lineup. Um... Quickly, with Nance just becoming the backup center in the first sub, you get right to a versatile lineup, whereas in game one, 
Nance was the first sub and then he would go in for Hayes and then you're still playing big. And then the second sub when Valanchunas finally leaves is finally when you're getting small so you can get to the small ball lineup quicker, which brings me to Najee Marshall, who I think the quiet thing about the third quarter run that the Pelicans made that I think it was 18 to four, 18 to five run when they cut the game back down to single digits heading into the fourth quarter. Najee Marshall was on the floor. I don't feel like he's getting any attention at all, but if you look, he was only a minus one. That was the best on the team outside of Trey Murphy, and that's no coincidence. He won. He got an offensive rebound put back. He had a couple nice finishes aside from that, cutting, driving. He has a big body, and he, he can kind of use it, and then he also was at in that point in time guarding Devin Booker, which I think is the part that gets the that, that should be getting more attention because Booker, you would think that third quarter run, okay, some for some reason Monty screwed up and Paul and Booker both left and the Pelicans pounced on it. No, Booker was out there and just didn't do anything and Marshall was on him. He missed a couple shots. He missed two shots, um, contest, one contested by Marshall at the end of the third, one contested by Ingram. But then every other time, whether he was getting the ball or giving up the ball, they were doing whatever they could to get Marshall off of him. They were doing the same thing with Herb Jones. They were doing, you know, they were going after their guys. But you would think, okay, Marshall is not as accomplished of a defender, not as gifted of a, of a player, you know, common perception. Like, Marshall's a lot lower on the game plan than Herb Jones. You'd think, okay, whatever. Mar- you're going to put Marshall on me? I'm a three-time All-Star. I'm an MVP candidate. I'm going to go right at you. But the Suns didn't do that. They kind of treated Marshall with some respect. So I think he will play more. He should play more. I think Trey Murphy will play probably about the same, 25, 30 minutes. He's somebody who I think is still a little bit awkward. He's one of those guys that's long, but not a great athlete. At least like he's not an explosive, holy crap athlete. He is not, you know, Mikhail Bridges or Paul George. He, he looks kind of lanky like those guys, but he is not at that level. So Murphy is somebody, I think, defensively that can still be a little bit of a liability. I also think Devontae Graham doesn't play. Uh, But that will get us to our next adjustment. The Suns, despite all of that, I think you're then getting into situations where the team is then a little bit smaller. Like, you know, Hayes has his own abilities in theory where you're probably not going to want to attack him at the basket. You know, some things change. Mostly, I think they run the same exact stuff, and I think those guys will still struggle. I just think Hayes is such an awkward fit, and he just was so unproductive that it looks bad, but I think in reality, I don't see Trey Murphy navigating that type of defensive situation all that much better. I don't see Najee Marshall, even though I think he he should be given a chance and played incredibly well in his 10 minute, uh, 15 minutes. I don't think he's you know going to just snap in and, and do everything. It's going to be, if Larry Nance can play... What he, the way he played against the Clippers in that play-in game at just an absolutely elite double-double offensive threat, defensive playmaker type of level, uh, unless he's that guy for you know 30-plus minutes, I just think the game is going to look fairly similar. That said, there are some things the Suns do need to worry about. A lot of it is in the backcourt, in my opinion. So we'll get to that stuff in a second. First look, guys, today's show brought to you as well by Rock Auto. Different trim packages... All these different years now, if you're somebody like me, you're looking at hybrids or electric vehicles and then you throw that on top of it, it's impossible to walk into a chain auto parts store and get what you need. You're going to be beholden to the prices. You're going to be screwed if you're not ordering in bulk because they have deals for mechanics and auto body shops. 
to get a deal for buying more. If you're only buying one, you're gonna have to pay more. You know the drill, but rockauto.com solves every single one of those problems. Save time and money and switch to Rock Auto. They are family business serving do-it-yourselfers for the past 20 years. They've also been doing it online for 20 years, so they really know the importance of convenience, efficiency, quickness, all that good stuff. That's why you shop online, right? And best of all, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every single customer. All you have to do is type in the car that you have, scroll down to the part that you need, click purchase, and it's at your door, cheap within days. So go to rockauto.com right now, guys. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Last adjustment that I see coming here is actually back to the Suns side. So we talked about the rebounding. We talked about the Jackson Hayes and the forward rotation for the Pelicans. Um, The last one is on the Suns side. So Cameron Payne played 17 minutes in game one. He was a team worse. He was the only player on the Suns actually to be a minus because he was out there during that third quarter run when Chris Paul was on the bench. Payne's like almost half of his minutes came in that stretch. And uh, he, they, the, the Suns didn't play well, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's one of six from the field and zero assists. That can't, it just can't happen. You cannot be Cameron Payne and post a 2-1-0 box score line in a playoff game. He is too important of a piece. His role is too important to, to fail at it that badly. Um, so what can the Suns do? If they're the ones that kind of need to adjust here, what can they do? Well, obviously, they can switch to Alfred Payton or Aaron Holiday. They can switch to Landry Shamit, who Monty Williams confirmed was not benched due to his uh, left foot injury, but it was just a shrinking of the rotation, something that, as he said, it happens this time of year, and it was a conversation that he had with Shamit. Maybe the Suns just say, okay, Booker's our backup point guard. As I said, in that third quarter, end of the third quarter moment, when the Pelicans made their run, Booker was out there. And he didn't have the ball in his hands maybe as much as he would have liked. Maybe if if you just put Shamit out there, Booker has the ball in those moments. He played 41 minutes. He can beat the backup to Chris Paul and then just make the, you know, six to ten minutes that Booker's not on the floor, make sure Paul's out there, and there's your point guard situation, right? I mean, you'd like to have a little bit more juice, but a guy like Shamit can do that. He can be a shooter for you. He can handle the ball. He can bring up bring the ball up the floor, all that stuff. So those are some options. I would probably lean sticking with it. There's, you know, Suns won. As I was saying about the offensive rebounding, if you're winning by double digits, a lot of these quote-unquote problems are not problems at all. 
That said, the only thing that would convince me to change it now rather than waiting is the injury part of this. And this is something I've been talking about for at least a week, but ever really since campaign sat out of the, uh, I believe it was the second game of the back-to-back against the Lakers, which was against the Clippers, the game that nobody played in. Uh, Everybody rested after the Suns clinched win number 63. That game was the one that Cam missed. Then he missed the last two of the season after that in Utah and then home against the Kings. And then he tells reporters after that, that his knee gave out while he was going up for a layup. And I've been somewhat joking, although it's obviously not not funny, that if your knee is giving out on you as an athlete, I don't think that you're right. I mean, I don't think it's just like, oh yeah, I'll play through it. I mean, I'm not saying he's tore something or anything crazy like that. Obviously, we would know if it was something that bad. But if he's in pain and soreness and kind of second-guessing himself when he's going up, a lot of fans I saw on, on... on Twitter, we're, we're noting that he's, you know, not really attacking the basket, which would explain the bad shooting percentage. Like, that's all connected. If he's not healthy, the Suns can afford to bench him. I mean, if we're already, if I'm already doing this kind of thought exercise of, like, who else could they play, that in and of itself shows that they would be okay without him. If this is the version you're getting, there's no reason to continue to make him play. Bench him. You might actually get more out of that spot. And he can recover. He can take the first round to recover. I don't think it would be a problem. Um, the version of him that's playing right now is, is just not helping this team. The other part of this backcourt thing. So back to the Pelican side for a second. Uh, on their back backup backcourt. So McCollum played 43 minutes, which I, I just think this series is going to be be a really bad one for him. I don't, I don't like... If Mikael Bridges is able to go over screens and contest from behind or from the side or even get back in position to, to corral him, McCollum, then that just takes away so much of what makes CJ a special player. He's trying to get to that pull-up three, to that pull-up mid-range shot, and if he's not getting those, he's just going to be in for a lot of inefficient nights. He's not somebody who gets to the free throw line a ton. He's not somebody who is naturally a point guard. So... I think you could even see him play less. Maybe you just hope that if he plays a little less, he, he can have his legs under him, be a little bit more decisive about when his spots are going to be there. But behind him, I as I said, don't think Devontae Graham should be playing. I think Willie Green should cut this to eight people probably. So probably if, if I were him, no Hayes and no Devontae Graham. I think you can get away with a little bit more Jose Alvarado. He's not uh, a scorer. I mean, he can make some open threes, it seems like, but he tends to have this like one of four, one of five stat line every night because he's just so small and he doesn't have a lot of you know scoring skill. He's not a, a you know great off the bounce shooter or any of that type of stuff, and he's going to struggle to finish. But he, I think, genuinely can make Chris Paul's life difficult a little bit, and we saw that at times. We saw Alvarado getting under Crowder's skin during the uh, ball, the the tip when uh, Lance, uh, Nance and, and McGee got, got tangled up in, uh, I believe, the second quarter. That's the type of thing you need if you're the Pelicans. You need that Patrick Beverly type. You need that Crowder, that Payne type, Torrey Craig type that the Suns have. And Alvarado can be that for them. I also think, um, back to the Suns side, the last thing here is, I think the Suns guards just need to be more aggressive as scorers. I mean... Yes, magical stuff 
I called it Chris Paul going supernova on my recap show. I, I fully, obviously, am in awe of what he did. But he had 11 points going into the fourth quarter. And I believe he had played 23 minutes. So 11 points in 23 minutes. It, it just, he can do more. And we, I mean, like the most egregious example, I think, was the lob to JaVale McGee that got, you know, tossed out of bounds and, and, and went out. It just was a ridiculous play when Chris Paul had a wide open layup, uh, I believe, in the second quarter. He tosses it up to McGee, and the ball just gets swatted. And the, the, the like, by the time he had his arm in the air for the pass, it was like almost a dunk. Uh, Chris Paul was in in such you know foot off the gas mode, and I just like you think. Yes, the offensive rebounds were there for the Pelicans, helping them to, to get back in the game, but they scored 34 points in the first half. The Suns only scored 53. If the Suns score more like 60 or 70, which they could have, um, their threes you know, weren't really consistently going in until the, the end of the game, and they just weren't very aggressive, the game you know, could have been completely out of hand. It already was a 20-point game. It could have been you know, out, so far out of reach that no run was going to bring them back into it. And I just think... Paul, it's just like 10% more. And Booker was settling, frankly. He started hot. I think he scored 10 points in the first few minutes of the first quarter. But a lot of that was threes. I think he made a couple threes. One of them was in transition. And then, you know, some. he's going to make some shots on the flow of the offense. But there were also some times he turned the ball over. On one drive to the basket, he settled for a long two on numer- on a few occasions against C.J. McCollum when he got that switch. He, he obviously likes the idea of just shooting over McCollum rather than going at him. If you just look like, again, 5, 10, 15% more, just drive at McCollum. You're going to get a layup or a dunk or a free throw. Like, just operate with the urgency from the jump. And I think that, again, I, I just said in the last segment, I think this will be a double-digit win. But again, it, it's just like the offensive rebounding. It's like, if the game goes exactly like this, I think the Suns win like 90 out of 100 of these. Like the Pelicans had a lot of things, like quietly had a lot of things go right in game one. Booker was not efficient. They got all those offensive rebounds. The Suns didn't have an incredible three-point shooting night. Um, nobody really got in foul trouble on the Pelicans or anything like that. And the, it was still not even a close game. You're going to get a better Ingram game, I think, you're going to get a better game overall from a game plan standpoint if, if they do make some of these rotation and, and defensive assignment changes. I don't think Herb Jones guarding one or the other. I don't think he can guard Booker any better than anyone else, frankly. Like, Ingram started on him, and Booker was... It didn't really seem to make a difference who was guarding Booker. So I probably lean toward you want to keep... Herb on Booker or on Paul just to try to do something at the point of attack, but the Suns have so many pivots off of that with different ball handlers. Like they have an answer. The Sun, the, the Pelicans are not going to do anything to the Suns that that just throws them off. But it should be a fun game too. Home game again. I'm sure many of you will be there. I will be there, and of course I will be here right after the game. So hit that subscribe button. Make Locked On Suns your first listen every step of the way through the playoffs. Probably going to do a bonus episode after Game Three. It is a Friday, but. I, uh, I want to be here with you guys. So that's on the horizon. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the game, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.